If you will, take your Bibles and turn them to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This morning I'm going to focus on verse 12 through 15. And if you would, stand with me and we'll pray and ask God's blessing upon us and then we'll read Holy Scripture. Now gracious Heavenly Father, we come now to Your Word that we might feast our souls upon it. That we might have our lives directed by it. That we would be shaped and molded, Lord, inward and outwardly into the blessed image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that this word this morning would be a light unto our path. Lord, that we would receive it, that we would be thankful for it, and that we would, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, rejoice in it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Beloved, hear now the word of the living God. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Amen. You may be seated. Well, beloved, this morning we're going to continue with these, uh, these few verses as we really get close to the end of the book. This morning is about a spiritual checkup. A spiritual checkup. I know we're all very familiar with having those um, health checkups we want to have. Um, at certain times in our life, we want to go to the doctor and make sure everything is working properly and that there are no problems or issues. Because if there are, then we can hopefully, um, through the right means, correct those. This morning, as we talk, as I bring this spiritual checkup from verses 12 through 15, we're not talking about something that is subjective. That is, we're not going to look at ourselves inwardly and figure out if we are spiritual. That is, or that, you know, we have spiritual leanings or spiritual desires. That's too subjective and it's not an exam that anyone would fail. The kind of checkup that we're going to do, the spiritual checkup that we're going to do this morning, is a checkup related to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. How are we faring with submitting ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, to His leading and to His guiding. That's the spiritual checkup we want to have this morning, and that's what we're going to look at. We want to see and we want to make sure that as we look at these verses, we compare ourselves with whether or not we are submissive or not. If we are teachable are not, if we are weak, are not, if we are faint-hearted, are not, and if we are, what can be done about it? These verses of Scripture certainly help us understand that there are all kinds of Christians in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, the church is made up of saved sinners. 
sinners. Oftentimes I've participated in discussions like being shocked about sin in the church. Being shocked about things people do. And yet, here's a church that was birthed in controversy. Here's a church that from its beginning days was birthed in the midst of fierce hatred and persecution. These church members heard the gospel and saw the preacher of that gospel be attacked, be slandered, be ridiculed. I mean, even to the point of having to flee the town to save his own life. Talk about putting fear in the heart of new believers. That would have certainly done it. Well, beloved, as, as good as the church in Thessalonica was, as humble as it was, as thriving as it was, as healthy as it was, it was not perfect. It was not perfect. If it was perfect, Paul would have no need to bring these verses to our attention. You can look at the passage of Scripture, this passage of Scripture, in various, in sort of three different relationships. In verses 12 and 13, you see the relationship that the congregation is to have to its pastor. And in those same two verses, the kind of relationship the elders, I should have said elders in the first statement, that is the relationship the congregation is to have to its pastor elders, and also what that relationship of the elders is to the congregation. And then in verses 14 and 15, in those two verses, we see the relationship of the congregation to the congregation. So we have three different levels of relationship. We have the congregation to the elders. We have the elders to the congregation. And then we have congregation among the congregation. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me bring up, because I know last week as I really hit on those first two verses, or 12 and 13, sort of introducing and bringing some things to light. I want to get more into the meat of the text this morning and just bring out a few things. Let's look at that relationship. First of all, what is the relationship that the congregation owes, owes to its pastors or to its elders? And I'll use the word owe deliberately. Because this is what the Holy Spirit is doing in every Christian congregation. This is not, um, this was not a, a scenario or a, a, a system or relationships, system of relationships that was going to be unique to Thessalonica. This is where the Holy Spirit is taking every Christian congregation and that's why it's a good spiritual test for us. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit. He's growing us up in the fruit of the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit, and He's giving us scenarios and situations whereby we can either quench the Spirit or submit to the Spirit and to see that fruit blossom and grow in us. The goal of every Christian congregation is maturity. Maturity. 
That's assumed in our logo out there on the sign, right? Or our motto rather than a logo. It's not a logo. It's a motto. The motto is discipling the nations in Jesus Christ. Discipling the nations to obey the commandments of Jesus Christ. What does that imply or what's the goal of that? Maturity. Maturity. That we would as Christians, whether we're single men or women, whether we're families, whatever our stage of life, whatever our age, wherever we are, no matter what the situation is, the goal of the Spirit is to bring forth in our lives the fruit that He has planted there by His presence. That's the goal. That's your purpose. That's how we're going to glorify God. That's how we're going to enjoy Him. By watching the fruit of the Spirit be manifested and blossom in our lives, if you will, come to maturity. What here we have how that's to look. The relationships and the context of how that's going to come about. The congregation, the text says, is to appreciate. Appreciate it's elders, those who diligently labor among you. The word appreciate, and you may have different translation than that. You may have the word recognize. You may have the word acknowledge. But the Greek word itself comes from the idea of knowing. Knowing. Know your elders. Know them. Know them in what way? Know them in a way that helps you understand them so that you can appreciate them or better yet, value them. How do you know your elders? Well, I mentioned a couple of things last week and I mentioned that, you know, how you watch them in certain circumstances. Look at Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at chapter 1 verse 5. Notice what Paul says here. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. I think here Paul is uh, he's testifying to the fact that, wow, when we came here preaching to you the gospel, we were under attack. You saw us deal with hard situations. You saw us deal with men that not just wanted to ruin our reputation, but men that would actually kill us. You saw how we responded in faith. You saw how we kept the Word of God faithful and true. We didn't deviate from it. We didn't shy away from telling the truth. We didn't shy away from preaching the Gospel to you. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Paul here is saying, listen, you learned a lot about us by the situations we went through, by the confrontations we had. You learn something of us here. Let me say this, and I'm going to move on to my next point. How do you, what's the best way uh, for you to get to know your elders? Listen to their teaching. Listen to what they say. 
Listen to their convictions. Why? Because, in, you know, if a, if a pastor is going to come and preach the Word of God and he's going to love the Lord and love the people of God, if he's going to, he's going to bear his heart, he's going to bear his soul, there's going to be an emotion to it. There's going to be a direction in it. There's going to be a level of conviction to it. And if you're listening, if you're paying attention, if you're honestly wanting to know about your elders and about those who are instructing you and leading you as you listen to it, as you listen to them and to its, their teaching, you're going to learn a lot about them. Particularly as uh, we tend to do from time to time to weave in personal accounts and stories and experiences of our lives. You get to learn something about your elders. The other thing that Paul says is not only follow them, he says, uh, or to know them, but he says to follow them. They are leaders to you. They're leaders. He says that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you. If you are to, um, I mean, if this relationship is, if God is going to put leadership over you, you got to be a follower. You got to be a follower. If you're not, let me back up. If you're not learning, if you're not listening, or if you have no desire to know your elders, if you have no desire to appreciate them, if you have no desire to go any further than to sort of kill time on Sunday, do a spiritual good deed, and to go home and throughout the week do whatever you want to do, that's not following what Paul is saying here. That's not the goal of the Holy Spirit. That's not, that's quenching the Spirit. Not submitting to the Spirit. He says, have charge over you. Be a follower. Learn to follow. And that's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to follow. It's not always easy to sort of, particularly as Americans, give up rights. Right? But yet, that's what the Holy Spirit's calling us to do. He says, they have charge over you. What does that mean? It means that you are to be led. That the Lord in His sovereignty has placed guides over you. Paul makes it clear in Acts chapter 20 that it's the Holy Spirit who makes overseers over the church. Follow. The other thing that Paul talks about is being teachable and submissive. They have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. That certainly implies what? Submissiveness, teachableness. You have to practice that. You have to work at that. Brothers and sisters, none of this comes naturally to the person, to anybody, man or woman. This is not the natural deeds of the flesh that I'm talking about. These are the fruits of the Spirit. Turn back to Galatians. Let's revisit the passage of Scripture that Dr. Sproul um, exposited for several weeks in our video series. Notice verse 16. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. 
Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Now notice these. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, it's a pretty serious statement, but notice what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, you know, none of this is natural to the sinner. It's unnatural. The fallen man is autonomous. He's his own God. He's his own man or woman. His heart is his own. He owes nobody anything. Any good he does, he does for selfish reasons. But the church is supposed to be different. The church is the place where the Spirit reigns and rules in the, in, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit makes us teachable and submissive to the proper authorities. You can put it this way. Faith begs to do what's right. Faith will beg to do what's right. Why is that? Where do we get that teaching? Well, from Romans chapter 10. Faith come by hearing and hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is the substance of true faith. That's why every Christian cannot say, I won't or I cannot. They must say, I will not. Because if we truly have the Spirit, we are certainly capable and even to an extent desirous to do these things. Teachable and submissive. Now let me just say this about being teachable. What does that mean? I mean, if, if men are to set over us to teach us and to instruct us in the, in the disciplines of the Lord Jesus Christ, it means we need to, well, we need to come to be taught. We need to come to learn. We need to come to be instructed. We need to come to be corrected. We need to come to, to be encouraged to even have what we already know to be true fortified and strengthened. All right? We gain strength from that. But we also need to come prepared to do those things. Prepared to do those things. And I think that's why the the, um, Puritans and the Reformers got this so right. Instead of writing books, mountains of books, on how preachers can excite the people that don't really want to be excited, how to grow your church in 30 minutes kind of stuff, The Puritans wrote, as the believer's duty to come into the presence of the Lord in worship, they are to come prepare to listen, prepare to learn, prepare to feast upon the Word of God, prepare to understand it, prepare to have certain ideas corrected if necessary or need be. I mean, brothers and sisters, let's ask the question, how many of us prepared this morning from the text of Scripture you knew we would be in? Paul goes on to say, not only is the congregation to be teachable and submissive to that teaching, but they are to even move upward in their esteem. Look at verse 13, that you esteem them very highly in love. He says, if you love them, you've got to go higher than that. The, the Greek word there is superabundance esteem. That is not going to come natural. It's going to be something that you have to work through. 
But notice why. Why? Why are these things so important for a congregation to be submissive to the Holy Spirit? Why are these things important in order to have a spiritual, healthy congregation? Well, he says right there in verse 13 very clearly, uh, esteem them very highly in love because of their work. What's the work? Work of the kingdom. Work of the kingdom. The preaching of the gospel, the exalting of the name of Jesus Christ, calling sinners to repentance, calling sinners into that kingdom, taking sinners and, and helping those sinners come to maturity in Jesus Christ. It's a hard work. It's a work that excites Satan to attack the work. For the sake of the work. For example, beloved, think about the work. How many times have we had the opportunities to say something good about the church and we went on a tangent with others railing against the church? You know, we talk about the growth of the church. We talk about wanting to see people come to church. And I'm not talking about just this church, but we're talking about biblical, godly churches. We talk about where are the saints? Where are the true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, why haven't we stood up for the sake of the work? Why don't we stand up? Well, there's always somebody ready to say something negative. Do we participate in that or do we stand up and say, what about the sake of the work? Do you know? Do you understand it? Because what Paul is explaining here isn't very glamorous, is it? Paul isn't giving us this glamour shot of the church. This is as well, this is as real as it gets, isn't it? What about the elders? The elders have a responsibility too. They're to work hard, labor diligently. In fact, the word there Paul uses for work is unto almost tiring deadness. You work yourself to death almost. It's a tremendous sacrifice. It's a tremendous sacrifice. Those who are in the ministry, those who are even lay people who have participated in some form of exercising uh, some responsibility in the body can see how tiresome it can be to get the people on board and working together and loving each other and growing together. It's hard. It's not easy. Why? Because the flesh is always working against the Spirit. I read you the text. They're to work hard. They're to exercise authority. There is authority. They are to govern. If they're not exercising the authority, they're not pleasing the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit put them in office so that they might, in the teaching of God's Word, this grace Word, they would exercise grace and spiritual authority. That's the purpose of it. And of course, it is hard to do when you have a philosophy of Americanism that says you only have as much authority over me as I'm willing to give you. Hey, buddy, I'm here, but don't go too far. I'm a Christian because I say I'm a Christian. And we have a lot of that around, don't we? 
They are to exercise spiritual authority, not be sheepish about it, but to do it. They are to teach and counsel, rebuke and admonish. That's the idea there in the whole, that's the whole idea there where he says, and they give you instruction. They give you instruction. You ought to be prepared in your Christian walk to be instructed publicly and privately. What is the goal? The goal found in verse 13, live in peace with one another. What does he mean to live in peace? He means to be at peace. He means to be at peace in your own heart. What does it mean to be at peace? It means to be at peace in this. I am doing what I can do in the Holy Spirit. I'm being submissive to the Holy Spirit. I'm working at these things. I want to do these things. I don't do them well. I'm not perfect at them. But I know I need to do them. I see it in Scripture. And Scripture is my guide. I want to be pleasing to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I want to honor my elders. I want to love my brethren. I want to be teachable. I want to rebuke. I want to exhort as an elder. Because you know, it's not easy to do. I don't know of any elder personally that loves doing it. And if I did see that characteristic, I would doubt whether or not he really needed to be an elder. Most elders have to make themselves do it to be faithful to Christ. Be at peace. Be able to say in your own heart and mind, I want to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. I am going to be teachable. I want to learn what the Spirit has for me because He knows best, better than I do. I want to lean not into my own understanding, but in all, all, all my ways acknowledge Him. Well, let's look at this other set of relationships and responsibilities from verse 12 through 15. Now, this is the relationship that members have with one another. Members have with one another. Notice we have different kinds of of people uh, described here. Look in verse 12. Notice we have, I mean, not verse 12, but uh, verse 14. Notice we have the unruly. The unruly. What is the unruly? He's the self-willed person. Look at what verse 14 says. We urge you, brethren. Paul is still maintaining this brotherly speech, but it's stronger than just a... It's stronger than, brother, you need to do this. It's more of a, you know, brothers and sisters, you know, do this in the Lord. I mean, it's a this is a spiritual rule that must be obeyed. He says, we urge you, we're moving you, this is what you need to do. Now, and let me, let me say this, notice, why is this important? Well, brothers and sisters, the church in Thessalonica has probably been going on now for a couple of years. By the time this letter had gotten there, um, a lot of things can happen in a congregation in a few years. And this is important. These, there are these people rising up within the congregation. And Paul is, is writing them and saying, listen, this is how you shall love one another. Now, that, this, is, this, is, this is the exposition of love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly 
The self-willed. What is the unruly? What is the unruly? Well, the word means to be out of ranks. It's a military term. It's out of step, out of line. Now, there's a wide understanding of that. It, it could be an immoral out of line. That's not implied here. It can just be an out of line with the church, out of line with the leadership. It could be out of line with the teaching. Uh, let me give you an example. It would, it would be like a Presbyterian going to a Baptist church, knowing it was a Baptist church, knowing the doctrine of the Baptist church, and meeting the pastor every Sunday up front to talk to him about baptism. It would be like that man always in the Bible studies, at these Baptist Bible studies, pressing upon them Presbyterian doctrine. That would make him unruly. Why? He's out of step with the church. He's not helping the church. He's not aiding the church. He's becoming a problem for the church. He went there knowing what kind of church it was. And it could be the same way in the other direction. This person, this person is out of step. He's self-willed. They just want to do things their own way. You can't lead this person. This person is the one that always uses the but word. B-U-T. Well, I know, elder, but. Well, I know, but. Well, I know, but, you know, I mean, this person's never in step. And what does the Bible say to do to that person? Admonish them. Admonish them. This is a person that is highly a hard to, he's very hard to teach. They are very hard to teach. They're not an encouraging group. They're a critical group or person. Uh, they probably don't have a lot of friends. And if they do, they're going to be very few and selective. He says, you have to admonish them who break ranks. That's what A.T. Robinson says. There's another aspect of this word that we can look at. It's, it's breaking ranks. Um, some of these Greek scholars call them um, their, their uh, what's the word, um, uh, loafers. They're just not going to do anything. They're out of step with the church as far as the love, the ministry, the philosophy, the goals of the church, which is to see everyone mature and loving. They're out of step. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Um, uh, a, a Vine's expository dictionary interprets the word by saying, you know, they're meddlers, they're meddlesome. They're always causing a problem. They're challenging. He says you admonish them. What does it mean to admonish them? Now notice, brothers and sisters, who's the first line of an admonition? Congregation. Congregation. It doesn't mean the elders don't do it. It doesn't mean the elders are not going to do it. It just means that you are to participate in loving one another in this way. The word admonishing means to put sense into their heads. Nutheo. Nuthetic counseling. You want to nutheo them. You want to help them understand their condition. What does it mean? Uh, helping them understand their condition. Um, A.T. Robertson puts it this way. You put sense into them by showing them where they're going by acting this way. Nothing good is going to come out of it. 
Okay? The path your own leads here. And the second, uh, as I would use the word, as Calvin uses the word unlovely, the second unlovely person doesn't mean we don't love them. And we may find ourselves in this situation at points and times. But look at the other person that's hard to love. And that is the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Who is the faint-hearted person? The faint-hearted person, well, at least according to the, the Greek itself, is one with a little soul. That's what it means, little-souled. Small-souled. They just don't have the heart to carry on. They're quitters. They always struggle when there's a problem. Think about the persecution that was taking place at Thessalonica. The, the faint-hearted person would say, well, why even start a church? Everybody hates us. Why do we want to be a Christian when it's so hard being a Christian? How do we want to live out our Christianity when the Apostle Paul had to flee for his life? That's what a weak heart or a faint-hearted person is like. They are depressed easily. They struggle with many circumstances. And they worry about everything. They worry about everything. That's the faint-hearted. They're easily led astray. How are they easily led astray? Because they're so circumstantial-oriented. If it's good, they're okay. If it's hard, not doing so well. If it's very difficult, not doing well at all. Well, notice what you are to do with them. You're not to admonish them. You're not to beat them up spiritually. You're to encourage them. Encourage them. Let them know it's going to be okay. For example, look at chapter 4, verse 13. But I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or dead, so that you will not grieve as do the rest of those with no hope, who have hope, no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. That's what Paul was saying. Look, they're weak. They're, they're worried. They're worried. They're bothered greatly by the loved ones dying before Jesus came back. Comfort them. Encourage them with what? These words, these doctrines, these teachings. What about our third person, our third church member? Verse 14, it says, help the weak. Help the weak. Who is this weak person? Well, this weak person is is the undisciplined person. He's the undisciplined person. He's one that, if you will, are um, highly tempted, highly tempted to sin. 
In, in, in any number of circumstances, they are immoral. And I don't mean just by sexual. I don't just mean that they are given to sexual impulses. They are immoral in many ways. They can be moral, immoral with their tongue. Immoral with the things they talk about. They're undisciplined. They don't want to subject themselves or do the hard and difficult spiritual disciplines in order to increase and to grow their faith. They're weak. It could be this, these are the ones that Paul had in mind in chapter 4 when he talked about sanctification and sexuality. For this is the will of God, verse 3. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Paul had to say it. He needed to state it. He needed to be clear about it. What do these people need? They need accountability. They need to be upheld. Look at the verse. It says, look, it says, uh, help, help the weak. It is interesting, and I've heard this to be true in other cases, and I'll use another case to describe this. It's a pastor, and he had a young man come into his office, and the young man just broke down, weeping, crying, wailing, and he was struggling with homosexual tendencies. Almost to the point of thinking of suicide. I can't do anything about it. It controls me. It rules me. Every time I work hard against it, it seems like it comes back in a flood of thought and emotion. What can I do, Pastor? Help me. I'm tired of this life. And the pastor suggested, he said, well, listen, I'm busy. I, I can't be with you every hour of the day. But I want you to take a sheet of paper and I want you to write down on this paper and I want you to write down every thought, every desire in explicit detail that you have that you entertain every hour of the day and I want you to bring it to me at the end of the week. The boy was kind of surprised that that would be his counsel. He thought, I don't know what that's going to do. I need help. But it comes to the end of the week and he comes into the pastor's office and he's smiling and the pastor says, did you have a good week? He said, I had a great week. He said, well, let me see your list. And he grabbed a sheet of paper and there were just, just a very few minor things on there. And he says, well, what happened? He said, well, pastor, he said, the thought of me bringing that paper to you and you reading what I entertained in my head was more abhorrent to me than that sin. And it helped me put that sin to rest. Accountability. Help. He couldn't imagine handing that paper to his pastor and his pastor saying, you think this? You entertained this thought? You went there? He said, I would mortified to think that you would know what was going on in my head. And I prayed earnestly and I diligently sought the means of grace and I saw victory over that sin. You help the undisciplined. It's not easy, but it's hard. And they're hard to lead. 
Undisciplined people are hard to lead because one minute they're high, next minute they're low. One minute they're, they're doing great worship service, next minute they're back in sin. And it's constantly a, 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 a chore bringing them along. But notice what Paul goes on to say. He says in verse 14, be patient with everyone. See, that's the rule. Why is this admonition or this exhortation to the church so desperately needed? Because we don't want to be patient with each other. The flesh doesn't want to be patient. The the flesh is greedy. The flesh is envious. Is Is there any good thing dwelling in your flesh? I hope you will answer no. The only good in any of us is the grace of God. The flesh doesn't want to be patient. The flesh wants to be domineering. The flesh wants to be demanding. The flesh wants to be authoritative in a very sinful, self-righteous way. Paul says, be patient. Now, that, now, now, brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. I should have stated this quite earlier, but... Um, It doesn't mean you don't have church discipline. It doesn't mean you don't have serious correction. It doesn't mean you don't call for repentance. And you can still be patient. But patience is to be exercised. And I will tell you this. If you are a church and if you are an elder that holds to the authoritative Word of God, if you hold to the authority of Scripture, if you hold to there is nothing good in your flesh, only good in the grace of God, if you hold to all you know, uh, scandalous, in unrepentant sin needs to be disciplined and excommunicated, you're not going to be liked. You're not going to be liked. Not only is the world not going to like you, but even immature, uninformed Christians are going to have a problem with you because they don't understand it. Particularly when there's a lot of mature Christians not standing up for it. Long-suffering is what the Greek word means. Be long-suffering. Don't be quick to judge. Exercise patience, both to the leadership and from the leadership to the people. Hold on to them with patience. Hold everybody up with patience. Now, what does this mean for the gospel? Well, brothers and sisters, the gospel teaches us to submit to the teaching of God's Word, doesn't it? You know, there are some views and there are ideas out there that when we examine ourselves, we sort of look inward and we try to, you know, do I have... Uh, a feeling for Jesus. Okay, I've got that. I'm good. Um, do I do I desire to read the Bible sometimes? Okay, I desire to read the Bible sometimes. That's good. Check, check. You know, do I want to do good sometimes? Yeah, okay, yeah, let's check. But see, brothers and sisters, that's not a real examination. You're never going to fail that examination. You're always going to pass that examination because you're always going to see yourself better than you are that's why we are to examine ourselves by the fruit of the spirit when we see love joy patience kindness goodness gentleness and self-control and we have the opportunity to exercise those grace gifts 
How fair do we do? How do we do? Sometimes good. Sometimes not so good. But what's the, what's the goal? What's the goal? The goal is to do it. And the goal is to love to do it. And the goal is to do it more. And to do it better. And the goal is to uh, die to self so regularly and so habitually that the fruit of the Spirit can just manifest itself. What does Paul say? Paul says you want to kill the, you want to kill the deeds of the flesh? Exercise the fruit of the Spirit. You want to kill envy? Exercise love. Paul said, uh, not Paul, John Calvin, I was reading him yesterday and um, in his section on Christian conduct, he said this, he said, you know, he said the rule of the day is love because that's the object of law. The whole purpose of obedience is not simply training our minds to think correctly. It's to train our hearts. It's to train our lives. It's to tr- so that we have a perfect and complete picture of the whole man following in the sphere of love by the law of God. It's not simple obedience. We think if we obey the, the, if we obey the Lord in coming to church on Sunday, we're righteous. Brothers and sisters, that's a small part of spirituality. That's a small part of maturity. Calvin goes on to say, he says, oh, it's like the person that gives and gives and gives, but they never give with a cheerful heart. They obey, but their hearts are not fully into it. He said they both have to match up. Let me read to you Galatians 6 and following. I think this helps us understand the gospel The Holy Spirit is bringing the church into conformity with that fruit. Okay? With that fruit. Because those things, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, that's the image of Christ. It's the image of Christ. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... That is, those who are mature in the exhibiting of this fruit. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. You see there in verse 2 that love is the fulfillment of the law. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his work... And then he will have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. That is, each one is responsible for himself, ultimately. The one who has taught the Word of God is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap also. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Think about these people we've just looked at. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. You see, beloved, the goal of the day is to 
die to self. And this is this is the gospel. This is this is the essence, the platform, the substance, and the meaning. The gospel. We die to self. Paul says, "I have died in Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He lives in me because I'm dead." And what you see, you see is the work of the Spirit in me. This is the gospel. Seeing the fruit of the Spirit come to maturity. Submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit, His will, and in, as it, in regards to the membership of the church. How are we doing? How healthy are you? How are we? You see, we don't determine how healthy we are from how many activities we have or the things we like to do. And we can now like to do all those things. We can like to do a bunch of things. But we really need to ask the question, are we submitting ourselves to the will of God in the Holy Spirit? And are we carrying out and seeing come to fruit in our lives uh, the fruit that the Holy Spirit's implanted in us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Apart from these, there is no law. Let's pray.